uh, spiritually with the people, and he and Nehemiah are teamed up together here. Now, what day was this? Verse 2. First day. Of the... Do you know anything special about the first day of the seventh month? Feast of Trumpets. It was their first day of their special month. The seventh month was the most special month of the year to them in many ways. Why would that be? Yes, so seventh month would be special in that way. Why else? Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the seventh month. The Feast of Tabernacles, that seven-day seven day feast from the 15th to the 22nd day of the month. So the Feast of Trumpets sort of kicked off their special month. And the people have gotten together at the square, and they asked Ezra to do what? Yeah, to bring the, the law of the Lord. They want to hear it. That's pretty amazing. Wasn't Ezra taking initiative? The people take initiative. They want to listen to it. And they do. How long do they listen? Yes. So several hours session in which they do what? They get the reading of the word, the explanation of the word. What would you think about a several hour session where you read, have the word read and explained? Would, would that be something you'd be eager for like these people were? And it reminds me a lot of being in Porto Alegre, Brazil, where I go almost every trip. And uh, this past trip, uh, we studied uh, in four days, more or less. We studied Romans in detail, we studied Jonah, and we studied Second Peter. And we had just hours and hours of study every day. We started about 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd take breaks now and then, eat somewhere along the line, but we'd study from about 10 in the morning till about 9 at night. And really, you know, detailed, challenging studies. And they were all there, they were all eager from beginning to end. It's kind of what you've got here. They're eager, they want to hear this. Uh, and and they, they are, are paying careful attention. Because what, what would make people want to hear the word of the law so much? Yeah, absolutely. After all, where did this message come from? We really owe, if you might think about this, we really owe the same respect to God's word that we give to God. If, if it's from God, it's what he's saying to us, and you can tell how much they respect it here, how careful attention they're paying. And as they hear this, what was their initial reaction? Why? I imagine so. You hear the word of the law read, and it convicts you of your sin. However, Nehemiah and Ezra told the people not to weep, but to celebrate, because in truth this was a day of great joy. Today they get to listen to the word of the Lord read. And so they do rejoice. You kind of have both reactions. It's great to hear the message. It's also convicted to hear the message of God. Come into questions on this session. It's also interesting, not only are they listening and reading, they're also standing at that time period as well. 
24 hours. That would be challenging, wouldn't it? No, we generally listen to the Bible studies and sermons seated. It would be a little harder if you had to stand up the whole time as they were doing, I think, because of their respect for the Word of God. And people are accustomed for them to stand up out of respect. I'm sure we would see it so much that way. Other comments and questions? from some of the books of law, uh, Exodus to Deuteronomy, I don't know exactly what, but I do know that in the next section, on the second day, they have a second dose for leaders, and they read some passages dealing with the Feast of Tabernacles, that could have either been Leviticus or Deuteronomy, so they're reading something. Yeah. Other questions and comments? It looks like it was both because of verse uh, 8. They read, and it's a little, there's some d debate about the rest of verse 8, uh, whether it means they, they translated it into like Aramaic that the people would speak, or if it means more they explained it. I think the idea may be that they read it, and they actually had some explanation, like we would do in a Bible study. We read it, we're doing now, then talking about explaining what it means. Uh, so probably this Other thoughts? Very action stories, interesting because every single time we read the Bible, we can be quick in some way. We should be ashamed of ourselves every single time we come out of it. And truly see that godly sorrow after they studied it for so long. Uh, when we read through Ezra and Nehemiah, we should read there and look at their examples and look at ourselves as a how we haven't been comfortable where we should be. We should be ashamed of ourselves, but then still, as Nehemiah is saying, rejoice because we've now been reconciled with God through Now, the reading of God's Word means a lot more to us when we're really hearing it as we read, making application, and really thinking about its meaning in our life. And obviously, their reaction shows that's what they were doing. Other thoughts? All right, 13 to 18. On the second day, I had the followers of the household, all the people, the priests and the Levites, gathered to Ezra the scribe, that they might gain insight to the words of the law. They found written law on the Lord that commanded through Moses and his sons of Israel to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They proclaimed and circulated them a proclamation in all their cities, and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring all of them. Wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees, to make booths as they were. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and on their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water in the square of the The entire assembly of those who returned from captivity and made booths and lived in. The sons of Israel had, in, had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, Joshua the son of Nun. Today, and there was great rejoicing. He read the law of God daily, the first day to the last, and he celebrated the feast seven days. On the eighth day, he was solemn assembly for the Lord. There's a lot of things that are interesting about this passage. When is this? 
this is the next day. It was the first day of the seventh month in 1 through 12. Next day, what happens? Who got it? Yeah, like the leaders of the people come back to Ezra for what? Yeah, they're wanting to learn more. Now, I don't know if you had, uh, you know, spent many hours the morning before standing and listening to the law read and explained. Would you feel the need to come back and learn more? Or would you maybe think, well, we've done our religious thing for the month, and now we can go on to other stuff. And I think it's interesting as the leaders. They really feel the need to know more of God's wisdom to lead the people. We do have that need. Sometimes we don't sense it. And so they come back for a second dose. They want to make sure they obey and understand every detail. And as they're, they're listening uh, to the word this second day, they actually find something out. What do they find out? as we know in the New Testament, was a feast in which, among other things, they were supposed to make for themselves little, little shelters with, with branches of trees and actually live in them for the seven days of the feast. I would ask them to do something like that during the feast. Yes, it was to remind them of the wilderness wandering when they were essentially you know, camped out in the wilderness. That would be humbling, but also remind them of what God had done for them in the wilderness. And uh, so, when they find that in the Word, what do they do? <laughs> hey, they go get the branches and start building the places and live in them for those seven days. Now, uh, was that kind of news to them when they read that? Apparently, why? Yeah, they had forgotten about doing it. They hadn't practiced it for how long? Yeah, you Joshua, you're not thinking about timetables in the Bible. How long was it from Nehemiah's day back to the days of Joshua? How many? 900. Yeah, 900 to 1,000 years. Wow. Now, what would we do? This is a really cool passage to think about. You know, we're studying the Bible, we're reading, and we find something in the scriptures. And it says we're supposed to do something, and it's like, uh, well, we've never done it that way before. So we talk to some of the old timers, and they say, well, we never did that. And they say, we, and we never heard anything, anybody ever talk about anybody doing that. What would we do in that case? What should we do? Change. Yeah. Well, but if we were to change, then that would say we maybe hadn't been doing everything right so far. But we haven't been, haven't we? Not necessarily. We can't just assume that. I mean, our attitude needs to be an attitude of desire 
to follow what the Lord says. It really doesn't make any difference if we've been doing it in the past or not, or if anybody else has been doing it or not. We need to have the, the zeal to please God that would cause us to be willing to even do something that hadn't been done for a long time if that's what the Lord says to do. I really appreciate their commitment to the Lord in that and their being willing to reinitiate a practice that had lapsed for nearly a thousand years. Kind of amazing to imagine that in all that, can you imagine, can you think of some of the great leaders of God's people from Joshua to Nehemiah? Who did you have? David. David. Like Asa, Hezekiah, Josiah. They hadn't been doing that, apparently, as good as they were. I don't completely know how to explain that. You go back and you look at the lot pretty clear. Uh, but I'm really inspired by this example of the people here at this time that they're willing to do it even though they're tradition for many hundreds of years had not been to do it. This is real commitment to follow what the Lord says. And notice, and I think this is a key, that this choice that they made, the decision they made to start camping out in the booths, came as a result of reading the word of the Lord. We want to be pleasing to God. We want to make the changes that God wants us to make. It's going to come because we're studying the scriptures. That is so important for us. We'll talk about that a little bit more here. Comments and thoughts that you've got here on chapter 8. Yeah. We need to have an attitude that if we do find something in God's word that is different from our original mindset of what it's saying, we need to have a heart to do it. You know, If we find a passage in the Bible that says we need to paint our faces blue, well then we should do it. Amen. Yeah, and that's exactly right. It's about our trust and respect for God. You know, whatever he says is what we want to do. It really doesn't make any difference. What he says, he obviously knows better than we do. We just want to submit to him and offer it. Well, what changes these people from the, I mean, they come back to you know, the really dark world. Um, and what is it not? Well, <laughs> it looks to me like what changes them right here is their eagerness to, uh, to listen to the word. You know, Ezra had come back 13 years before, and we read about how he moved them to separate from their foreign wives. Is it possible that he's done some other things in the meantime that have made them more spiritually attuned? Why do they stray from it? Well, why do why does every generation of God's people in a fairly short time seem to stray from the Word? There's such a temptation to be influenced by the world and to be lazy and whatever. That's a constant thing you see in the scriptures, and it's a big call for us to really be vigilant that we don't strip the mark. Good point. Yeah, when we're teaching somebody to listen to them too and make sure that they don't have an insight we've missed. Certainly. Our goal is not to defend any tradition. Our goal is to follow what the Lord says. That's all we know about it. I mean, there's nothing else that we don't have any special communicate from the Lord other than what He says. So that's what we want to follow. And if we miss something, then change. Other thoughts? 
chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Uh, well, actually, 1 through 3, 4 is most important. Oh,
Um, and, and what we have in the rest of chapter 9 is essentially a summary of what they're confessing to God, which is very powerful. Comments and thoughts at this point? Joey. I see this uh, willingness of the people to try and communicate with the Korean part of all of these foreigners that you guys seem to have another way to agree. Some of them want to be back together with one it's impressive the unity that they have in seeking the Lord together. Probably a big encouragement to them to do that together in the court. Other thoughts? Logan? profound but I just think it's so cool how excited they were I mean it talks about how glad like there was gladness in all the people and I've seen people before who haven't like they didn't see a certain bit a bit of scripture or like it just then clicked with them what something meant like maybe they've read it all their lives and suddenly it clicked to them what that scripture was actually saying and you can just see how excited they are and I think that's just awesome yeah they're really into what they're doing both with the gladness and with the uh, demonstrations of grief this is not an intellectual exercise to them. They're really fervent about this, serious about it. Good point. Other thoughts? Well, what we've got is their prayer of confession. We won't take the time to read all of it. It would be good if you would. Uh, but I would like to read some significant parts of this. And, and you get a flavor for what this prayer is. So would somebody read chapter 9, verses 16 to 25? But our fathers obeyed our fathers acted arrogant. He came slow and would not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonderful things that you had performed So he came slow and appointed a leader to return to their slavery. But you are a God of goodness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. You can see they themselves in half, molten metal, and 
said, this is your God who brought you up from you and you in great blessing. You in your great compassion do not forsake me, my Lord. The pillar of fire did not leave them by day to guide them the Nor the pillar of fire by night to light them the way of the musicians and they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your vanity did not withhold from their mouth. And you gave them water for their thirst. Ye forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and kingdoms, and allotted them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Eshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Asia. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. And brought them into the land, and she had sold their fathers to be turned to the So their sons entered and possessed the land, and he subdued them, subdued before them the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And he gave them into their hands, to their kings, and the peoples of the land, to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and fertile land, and took possession of houses, full of every good thing, human sisters and vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees and abundance, so they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in their greatness. There's a lot we can learn from reading prayers in the Bible, because I don't think we always pray as well as we should. Look at this as a prayer, like what it is. They're praying to God, and can you see the basic points they're making in this prayer? We're talking about his compassion and his love in the first part. Yes. They really talk about all that God has done for them, even though. Yeah. I mean, you know, verses 16, 17, 18. Look at what their fathers had done. That's pretty bad. I mean, even saying to this calf, this is your God. And yet, what does God do? Stay with them. He takes care of them. Takes even great care of them. Even down to like their shoes. Like, I've gone backpacking. Shoes wear out rather quickly, and they did a whole lot more miles than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Their shoes were not as, as good a quality as mine. And the fact that their shoes didn't wear out is a uh, miracle. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, would you, if you were God, be so compassionate and merciful to people who are stubborn and arrogant and rebellious and, and don't even appreciate your deliverance and want to go back to Egypt and all that kind of stuff? Now, now it impresses me in this prayer that they're talking to God this way. Doesn't God already know their history? Why would they be telling God all this? <coughs> yeah. Is there anything we could tell God that He doesn't know? You know, He pretty well knows what we're thinking, doesn't it? You know, there's nothing we we'll ever say to God that He doesn't know, but He wants us to talk with Him. And so they're expressing to Him. Really, I think they're guilt and they're shame. Their, their amazement at his constant and continued care and provision, but really what that does is just show how horrendous their neglect of him was. 
And their rebellion against him was, after he's done all of this. It's a really powerful passage in that way. And they're just going back and thinking through their history. They're identifying themselves with the sins of their forefathers as they follow Gregory in the same path. And they are praising God's grace and mercy. Comments and questions? Oftentimes when you um, say certain things that you were thinking about in your head and you actually say them out loud, uh, it clicks with you a lot more. And if we are saying things that, yes, God already knows, it clicks with you even more of what God has done and even more of an act of praise. Um, oftentimes I've thought about things God done, that God has done in my life and things that, well, I would have done things a little differently, but also if they had gone my way, I wouldn't be here today. And I think about that, but the more and more I say it, the more and more it becomes real, the more and more I'm actually able to praise God for those things. So oftentimes when you say things out loud, it means a lot more to I agree. And does. Other thoughts? Look at the next section as he continues in this. You know, think about what he just said. You know, he talked about all that God did for them from 19 to 25. That's quite a list. It's pretty powerful. 26 to 31. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who would have so that they might return to you. And they committed great blasphemy. Therefore, delivered them into the hand of their oppressors, who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverance, you delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had oppressed, they did evil again for you. Therefore, you avenged them God delivers them, God's compassion and merciful, they turn away from it. 
and he brought into the crowd and God's compassionate again over and over and over again. God continues to show compassion even though over and over and over again they continue to kick dirt in his face. Do you see how, how outrageous that is? That's what they're confessing to God. They recognize that that has been their national pattern. And they've been exactly how they've gone. And, and, and they're, they're hurt by seeing what they've done to God. And they see themselves kind of in that same tradition. Comments and thoughts? Okay. Yes. <coughs> Yeah, I think so, to some extent. I don't know, you know, that all of this is just the judges. I think he may even be going beyond that by the time we get into the latter part of the reading. But yeah, he's really just kind of saying this is the pattern as we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. And coming right down to the present day, basically, and the distress that they're in because they have been unfaithful to the Lord. And, and, and you think about it. Why? If you're confessing this to God, you see the pattern, you see what you've done, what do you do about it? You know, what would be the right response? When you're confessing this to God and you see how you just develop this constant rot of every time God blesses you, you immediately turn back into sin and rebel against Him. Now what do you do about it? Think about that a little bit. Do you have any other comments or questions on this, Reed? I know. And God will pull the rug out from under us and humble us and we'll turn back to him and he'll accept us back with mercy and compassion. And it doesn't take long before we've forgotten him again. It's really, it's really sad. We've got that pattern. Really sad. Other thoughts? Yeah. And what are all those names? They signed the document. What's the document? Well, that's what I want us to look at. This is a really, I don't know, this is really helpful to me, really impressive. 
they have seen this constant pattern of defecting from God, rebelling against Him, straying away, getting lazy, whatever. And so they decide as a result of that, put right in sight. They are making a commitment here. We're going to talk a little bit about this idea, but I'd like you to get a flavor of what they're committing to. You know, what is the document that they have signed? Um, so, um, let's let's read for now um, 28 to 36. Somebody want to read 28 to 36. This is a part of the document they're signing. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the priests, the and all those who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land of the to the law of God, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters, all those who have knowledge and understanding, are joined with their principles, the nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. It will give to Moses, God's servant, the people to observe all the things of God our Lord. And his ordinances and his statutes, and his statutes. And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land, or take their daughters for our sons. As for the peoples of the land who bring prayers or may pray on Saturday, we will not buy or not on Saturday or a holiday. We will prepare <coughs> the cross, the sun here, and the protection of every death. We also put ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one third of shepherds in the service of their houses our God. For the shelter every day, continue a grain offering, and we continue a burnt offering, standing midway for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make it home for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. Likewise, we pass lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God, according to their fathers, on the fathers' households. At fixed times annually, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. But that they might bring the first fruits of our ground, and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree, to the house of the Lord annually. And bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cow, and the firstborn of our spiritual flowers, and we bring them in the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. Right, this is really helpful, and this is a perfect time to talk Because as has already been mentioned, we're kind of in the same boat. You know, I bet very many of you have, maybe even in your prayers to God, I hope. And certainly in your conversations with each other to talk about how you realize you have not been as disciplined and devoted to the Lord as you should have been in the lives of last year. How you strayed away and so And you have said, you know, we really need to do better. But you recognize, have you ever said that before? Has there ever been another cat say or whatever? In which you've been convicted, man, I haven't been doing well, I'm going to change. And has that ever not worked out to have uh, resulted in the kind of change that you anticipated? Well, what do they do here to make sure, or try to make sure, that this works out differently? They write it down. How do they become accountable? 
They sign it. They join together to do it. Very good. I think that's, that's so helpful. They are making a definite commitment. How many times do we make indefinite commitments? You know, I, I'm going to try to do better over the next year or the next week. I'm going to try to you know, I, 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 I hope I read my Bible more. You know, I hope I pray more. I hope I cut back a little bit on this sin or that sin or whatever. We don't do very well when we make vague, non-specific commitments. The devil is not very worried about pious aspirations. When we're just hoping to do better, we're just thinking, well, I, I really need to change something. They are very specific and concrete here. They say exactly what they want to change. They write it down and they sign it. I have known people who've done that in specific ways. I've known people, for example, who realized they needed to study more, who have written a promise to themselves. Here's what we're going to do. I am going to study whatever, so many minutes a day, on these days, and, and sign it. You know, if we are more concrete and definite and specific, we're more likely to do it. And we have an easier way of measuring whether we're doing it. And if I'm going to improve, I'm going to try to do better, well, what's better? I we know whether we've really done that or not. So I like the definiteness. I like the obligation of writing it down and signing it. That's what they do. Now look at what the commitments are. In verse 30, what are they committing themselves to? Which is such a problem at this time. We know it wasn't Ezra's day. We know that. And Alakai talks about it. Nehemiah will talk about it later. Um, the problem being influenced by the people. And in verse 31, what are they committing themselves to? Yes. Um... That would be a challenge. And uh, to, to take the Sabbath year and not collect the crops in the seventh year, all of that affects you economically. And that would be hard to put God first in the seventh day, the seventh year. And then in 32 and following, basically he's talking about what kinds of things. The tithes, the offerings, the sacrifices, the food for the sacrifices, and so forth. And they're committing themselves to actually providing what they ought to in these ways. Now, we'll just think about what this really amounts to. I think this is cool. In 30, they are acknowledging the Lord as the Lord of their relationships. In 31, they're acknowledging the Lord as the Lord of their time. And in 32 to 39, they're acknowledging the Lord as the Lord of their possessions. They are willing to commit in their relationships, in their time, and in their possessions. They are going to do what God has asked them to do. And they write it down and they sign it. I wish I could tell you that solves everything. It doesn't. It is a good step. It is a helpful step. There's one more thing that you have to do after that. What's that? you got to do it. There's no substitute for that. And chapter 13 shows they didn't. I don't know how long it took. But by chapter 13, it's gone back out of a good many of those provisions. 
I do think the commitment's important. I do think this is an excellent sacrifice. This, these are important steps. But it is vital that we follow up and do it. Now I'll pause here. And what comments and thoughts do you have? you know, kind of what steps we're going to take in definite terms or what we need to change specifically. Those feelings that I want to do better, when they're not specific, don't help much. Don't really change much. If you don't plan to improve in specific ways, you're probably not going to. You know, it's rare that somebody does better without actually specifically purposing to do better. Well, uh, Ken Nemo, when you said like about how they stopped in 13, they fell away from that or whatever. Uh, something that I find really hard for me is that during the summer when I'm at school or whatever, um, is I have a lot of time, and a lot of times I'll find myself getting bored or wanting some kind of excitement or whatever. Um, I don't know, like whatever. And, you know, sometimes I'll just feel like I really don't want to study my Bible right now, even though I know that's the best thing I should do when I'm feeling that way. And, I mean, I guess it's hard. We just got to go against our feelings and just do it, no matter how we feel. And, I mean, that's, I guess it's just the struggle. That is kind of our struggle, isn't it? To discipline our body, 1 Corinthians 9, and bring it into subjection. To allow the spirit to control the flesh. To, to be willing to make ourselves do the right thing. When what we feel like is doing the wrong thing, how do you do that? Well, it's kind of like I've heard before that if you don't want to do something, you need to do, act like you want to do it anyway. So, <laughs> so um, I, the best way to start, or if it's even hard to do too, if you don't want to study your Bible, if you still need to do it anyway. And even though you might be thinking, oh, this is so boring, you know, if you keep on consistently doing it, you know, you set a definite goal for, you know, a definite time for definite days, you'll eventually acquire the desire and the, you know, pleasure in doing that. Yeah, I started uh, running on a treadmill the first of the year, and that is not something I enjoy. (laughs) I don't, you know, I try to kind of you know, push myself, and, and man, it hurt, and it was tiring, and it was just, wow, it was not fun, but I was really determined, I bought the thing, I wasn't going to let it sit there, and, uh, you know, it was weird, though, I mean, it probably took two or three months, but I've gotten to where I really miss it, I miss it this week. That may be hard for me to get started again after this week. I don't know. I will do it. I'm determined to do it. But it is weird how I got to where over these last couple of months, I really wanted to. In fact, you know, I would really insist on doing it maybe more than, say, five days a week, but I was often doing it six or even seven sometimes just because I wanted to. And it's weird how those things work. If you'll make yourself do the right thing long enough, you'll get to where you want to do the right thing. 
this chapter 10. Yes, um, I think like one of the huge things about daily Bible study is that, um, well, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And one of the biggest things is like if you do miss a day or if you start falling behind, to not give up, to not just say, well, okay, I failed, to keep doing it. I mean, it isn't good for us to fail and you know, then say, okay, I'm going to do better and then fail again. But it's better than just failing and then stopping completely. So it's important for us to get back up and try and do it over and over again, even if we do fail. That's an excellent point, Logan. I think a lot of times, those as Christians, see the edge can be in loss. Like, I've, no, I've noticed, uh, like, I'll set a, a daily goal for, you know, so many hours in a day or so many minutes, and then, and then I'll be doing something like I'm kind of bored, and then, so, you know, I have a lot of work. Work on. It's like no, 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 no. Let's not think about that. It's like we see. It's just our mind are so kind of like that. We remember what we wanted. Yeah, I was just talking to a, a brother, a young, a teenager, not long ago on the phone that I've been working with quite a bit, and he was talking about how he could never remember to really pray. You know, he, he'd attempt to pray each day, but he wouldn't remember. And I, I didn't know. I didn't know the answer to this question. But I was pretty sure. I asked him, I said, uh, do you ever talk to your girlfriend on the phone? And she lives along what's away. He said, yeah. I said, how often? He said, every night. I said, for how long? Oh, two or three hours. <laughs> and I'm like, um, well, how do you always remember that? And uh, what if you purposed that you weren't going to talk to her until you pray, talk to God seriously? And uh, I said, uh, you have always productive conversations for those two or three hours. And talking about that a little bit, he talked to his girlfriend, and he's cut back on that, and he's consistently praying. Um, you know, we do remember what we want to do. You know, some things are important to us. Other thoughts? Jake? Uh, we have to force ourselves if we don't want to. But I think long-term, God really wants us to be seeking Him uh, with all of our hearts. I mean, if we're really loving, if we really have a relationship with Him, then uh, eventually the goal is that for not to be this obligatory thing, but out of an act of love. I'm guessing the guy you're talking about doesn't obligatorily call his girlfriend because he has to. That's, that's what you do when you're in a legitimate relationship and you care about each other. And these people seem to have really been touched in their heart and want to do what's right before God. And so when we're touched uh, and we want to do what's right and we love Him and we, we really appreciate Christ and all that, then it's going to become natural uh, for us to want to do that. You know, it, it's almost like uh, uh, it's the tip of the iceberg. You know, this little problem you, you can't read, you don't want to read your Bible and that's not important to you. That's maybe the 10% you're seeing. But there's a big 90% problem of why wouldn't you want to talk to God? Why wouldn't, is that not a part of who you are and uh, your real love and commitment to Him, you know, that, that has to be a part of it too, is in the end, that's how we, uh, that's natural when we love Him and Christ's sacrifice means something to us. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. It's interesting that here, why wouldn't they have wanted to follow His marriage procedures and give Him that one day a week and tithe and so forth? And the commitment, to some extent, deals with the behavior. We'll change our behavior. will often change our love and our heart. That reminds me of Jesus. Did he want to die on the cross? Yeah, I mean, you can answer that both ways, but really, I mean, he said, let this cup pass from me. But what did he want more than the cup pass from him? The will of God to be done. Now, 
there are times when, especially if you haven't done it very much, you probably aren't going to really feel like you want to read the Bible. But you want the will of God to be done, so you do it. Now, it's like a lot of things. Wow, eventually you get to where you can't do without it. You do this. And it is God's word. And it's precious. And it's wonderful. And it's worth it. And I hope, and, and we ought to come to that point. We ought to seek to motivate, our, motivate ourselves with love and commitment to God. But uh, there's a lot of times we must start with changing our behavior. Let's talk about this. Let's back to 1 John. He talks about we have the love of God and our burdens. Desire. The more we love God, the easier it will be. And the more we'll enjoy it and get out of it. But, but I want you to think about this too. You know, we're talking a lot about studying and prayer, which are, you know, I think helpful applications for us. Um, there's a reason why this is important to us. There's a reason why we talk about things like this. For example, I mean, what happens if you go for a long time and don't eat? Yeah, it's going to really hurt your health. If we go for a long time, we don't eat. It's going to hurt our health. And we've got to come to where this is a regular form of evil. It is our food. And that we depend on. And I know for me, I mean, I don't know how it is for anybody else, but for me, when I was 12, 13, 14, I really thought studying the Bible was boring, but my conscience bothered me when I did I did all kinds of stuff. I'd set goals and I'd keep them some and I'd break them some. But I finally get it enough that by the time I was 15 or 16, I got to where I really liked it. I couldn't believe it. I got to where I really liked it. I got to where I didn't have to set goals. I was just trying to find more time to do that. I, that was really amazing to me. I never thought that I would get there. But I got to where I understood it more. It was more fun. And, and, and then the, honestly, it, 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 I wanted to. <coughs> And uh, that's pretty cool. And and if we'll keep doing what the right thing, with the right attitude, we'll want to. Good applications, good thoughts. Let me say a couple of words about the rest of Nehemiah. This is what I really want to focus on for today. But in the next chapter and a half, chapter 11, the first part of chapter 12, they uh, pick people and some volunteer to go back to Jerusalem and to inhabit it. And then they have the dedication of the wall in the last part of chapter 12. Um, and then in chapter 13, after a time, Nehemiah has come back and he finds that there are a bunch of problems that they are experiencing spiritually again. Chapter 13 is an interesting chapter to read. It really shows you some things about Nehemiah. He very strongly confronts the sins that he sees in the people. And is, is, he doesn't back away from insisting that they do what's right. And uh, so that's really where Nehemiah goes as far as the, the book overall. Do you have some comments and questions you want to make at this point over anything you've said, Kevin? I don't need to say that. It's just a Yes. I don't. Yeah, is this. I think this is the time we let up for the record. Okay. Thanks. So, I didn't hear from that. All right. So, very good. Uh, we will, but if you want to stay for a 